listening to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Tip Top Tim Fitch. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of the Construction Big Breakfast with me, your host, Tip Top Tim Fitch. And in this episode, I'm joined by our very special guest, Paul Hemming. Hello, Hello. nice to to be here. How are you doing? I'm very well. Now, Paul's a a very interesting uh, chap that I uh, bumped into virtually a few weeks ago, and I'm sure it's going to be of great interest to our listeners and viewers. Hopefully. So, Paul, just before we get into the meat and potatoes, and for our vegan listeners, that would be (laughs) potatoes, uh, I've got to ask you, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Well, Tim, knowing that I was coming on uh, the construction big breakfast, I thought I had to do something significant and out of the ordinary. So, I mean, obviously the last few weeks, months, almost years, it feels like where we've all been uh, in lockdown. It's got a bit monotonous with their uh, breakfast. But this morning I thought I was going to treat myself and do what I used to do when I go to a building site. And I had a uh, sausage and egg bat and I was delighted by it, to be honest. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Now, there's, of course, there is another question, an obvious follow-up to that. Now, this is what segments the entire world. Yeah. Are you a red or a brown man? Uh, I think I'm probably, I think I'm probably with the majority and say I'm a red sauce man. <laughs> okay. So, the, what about you? That, well, uh, well, interestingly, I'm, I'm most. If you were to ask me if I was having a fry-up, what was I? It's definitely brown. Same here. Same here. I would follow you on that. I'm most, generally speaking, I'm uh, brown with bats as well. Really? But on, there's a place I go in uh, Russell Square. There's an old one of those cabby shacks you know the okay. green one you see in london yeah. there's an old lady in there who runs it and occasionally i buy a, a roll on the way into the office there and of course what what you get is a nice crusty roll mm. but lovely soggy reheated bacon that's come straight out of and she uses the cheapest margarine you can imagine and that vinegary cheap brown sauce Fantastic. Um, <laughs> it sounds great. The whole That's thing what we missed. is just fantastic because it's oozing with presumably trans fatty acids and God knows what. <laughs> and it's just fantastic. And so, so in those situations, I'm definitely brown with that. But sometimes I, I do I do drift into the red side. Really? And so and so tell me, what do you uh, another thing that defines uh individuals i guess is what do you what do you call i call it a bap because i'm from the midlands but what do you call a uh, a roll do you call it a roll oh well, I, you see I've, i although i'm obviously from the south um i had this debate not well, about roll i'll probably say roll but bat balm cake was another one i've, I've spent enough time in the north um <laughs> and of course the other big debate and i can remember when i first went to university with and met all my friends in the north for the first time i can remember we used to have these strident debates about things exactly like that and the one mm. which got really heated was whether it's scone or scone and i was very very strident about scone because you're from the south 
I can't remember which side of the debate I was on. But you were, you were fierce about it at the time. <laughs> I remember having these horrendous, yeah, stupid rows with Bad. the students. And funny enough, um, I'm not I'm not even sure now what I'd say, although there is one in the fridge, because the reason we're going to, Alison bought me one, my wife bought me one yesterday, okay. you know, filled with scone or scone. I think I say scone. Yeah, I my, would say scone, but my mum would be disappointed in me if she heard me. <laughs> so again <laughs> I, was, I, I actually had peanut butter on toast this morning I've, I've been a bit under the weather I had my Covid jab on Saturday and we're oh, talking really? on Tuesday and uh, I had <clears throat> it obviously worked because I felt like I was going down with <clears throat> something Sunday okay. again a bit yesterday I'm mostly over it now but <clears throat> didn't feel up to having the full fry is that is that your comfort food? Is it or uh, peanut butter on toast? Or uh, I found during lockdown I've had to eat less. I've, I haven't wanted to eat as much because I haven't been uh, going to the gym. I'm, I'm a big sort of weights person, so <clears throat> without doing that, although I maintain the the cardio with the walking and a bit of mountain biking, I haven't been able to burn calories in the gym and that's <clears throat> I've been lucky yet at this time of life it just cuts my appetite so I, I eat less now than I ever used to so okay. my typical weekday breakfast now is either toast with something like peanut butter or two boiled eggs again with some toast <clears throat> I, I do have a cooked breakfast every now and then at the weekend I don't have them enough I'm afraid very sadly I don't have a cooked breakfast enough my, my girlfriend is Italian and uh Cooked English breakfast. As tempting as they are for me, they don't seem to uh, tempt her as much, sadly. Well, you know, it's cultural. Well, yeah, there's a bit of cultural uh, uh, experimentation required, I think. So. Yeah, yeah, but we've been together for six years and uh, she's not so interested in English breakfast anymore. She tried it. <laughs> well, obviously, this podcast is supposed to be about breakfast, but... <laughs> Maybe we maybe we should slow down on the uh, breakfast. Have, yeah. we, we did have some other uh, ambitions when we set this up because, of course, Paul, you uh, have started and running successfully a very interesting business. So perhaps for the benefit of everyone else who, who hasn't met you before, just give me a a quick thirty seconds on you and Sealink. Okay, so Sealink. Um, is a uh, we're a software company a construction software company so we're in contact i'm actually uh, by experience and qualification a quantity surveyor sadly some might say but that, that's what i did in my career um, as is the other co-founder uh, chris and five years ago we set up ceiling with the vision really of trying to make uh, the process of doing construction procurement as simple as possible, automating lots of lots of the process, but also giving you the, the user the, an access to uh, a marketplace of like pre-qualified uh, subcontractors, so that they're always competitively tendering. So, uh, yeah, we've been going for five years now. I think it's growing nicely, which is which is nice. But that right, that's a impressive and uh, really really pleased to hear that it's going well. But the, the thing that's extra exciting about it is that here's here's a product or a system which is competing with the traditional way of doing things 
which yeah. I see two ways now because there's the there's the stuff that's like the public procurement, which is, you know, although I was a Remainer, was to a certain degree ruined by all the EU regulations. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I guess where you're aiming for at the moment, which is the, the private sector, is that, is that, have I got yeah, that? We, yeah, generally found a little bit of a niche with the private sector, largely in the residential and commercial um, project uh, sphere. And just, I mean, I'm, I think I know, but for the for our listeners, what what is it you're competing against? What is the alternative to your product that's there at the moment? Um, <clears throat> well, uh, it's a good question. I mean, if I go back to 2015, 2016, when I set when I set up the business, and I'd love to say it was my fantastic idea. It was actually Chris, my. Uh, uh, business partners idea we were sat in the pub I actually worked on major projects I was always a subcontractor uh, but I worked on Batsy power station the walkie-talkie the shard projects like that Chris was working in smaller residential uh, projects as a main contractor um, and we were sat in the pub one night and he was saying why is it so difficult I'm having all these problems with um, procurement whereby everything was very paper-based lots of Excel spreadsheets didn't always have access to this big network of contractors so you were, he, he felt like he wasn't getting value for money a lot of the time, despite trying to do the best job that he could and being a really good QS. The tools weren't there for him to do the best job, get the best value for the company he was working for. And funnily enough, even though I was on a completely different side of the sector, if you like, I was on major works and I was actually a subcontractor and I was doing subcontracting, um, I had exactly the same problem. So going back to 2015, 2016, 2017, um, we were probably... Uh, competing largely against uh, Microsoft Word, Microsoft Excel, uh, less developed tools. Um, and I would say that at the moment, uh, systems and software are developing generally across um, construction, but less so around what we're very much trying to focus on automating and replicating the expertise of quantity surveyor. I don't think there's too many uh, tools that are doing that specifically in that little niche. I know that might sound very niche, but that's exactly what we're going for. We're trying to be uh, the tool for quantity surveyors. Um, and still, although we've been going now for, we're in our sixth year, and although things have really changed in the industry, and from where we were at the very beginning, it seemed like there was hardly any tools, there now is more and more tools and more and more adoption, if you like, by the industry. Uh, McKinsey did a report recently of the 22 sectors or uh, primary sectors of industry in the world. <clears throat> and sadly for us as an industry in construction, you'll probably know where we landed. We landed right at the bottom in terms of uh, innovation and technology uptake. So we ranked 21 out of 22 for sector to have taken up um, and, and made benefit of technology. So although we are competing with more and more software tools and uh, still competing against the status quo if you like of microsoft word excel those kind of those kind of tools um the industry is uh, still very much in my opinion anyway uh, in early adopter phase we still haven't got mass adoption loads of smes still out there not really uh, using lots of tools available but that's that's the exciting part i guess that's the frustration if you're in construction because we aren't moving fast enough, um, but also as a um, 
as an entrepreneur or if you like from my from my point of view that kind of uh whets my appetite a bit about the opportunity to uh, really have a lasting impact on on the way we work well uh, there you're you've taken the words out of my mouth because when everyone i mean everyone starts <laughs> trying to beat construction up for their own purposes obviously i'm sure you've read the final report and uh the witch report seems sorry i lost it farmer report mark farmer's okay. report from a few years ago mm-hmm. um what people don't realize is when you say that it's at the bottom of the league or one off from the bottom if you've got any sort of entrepreneurial um ability or even uh, ambition it's like a massive green light going off isn't it because there's the opportunity because it's a slow adoption <clears throat> industry of technology mm-hmm. sort of structural reasons why which your product might help to actually break down uh it's just a wonderful opportunity isn't it and of course it is it is yeah i mean you can look at it both sides can't you? There's, there's so much opportunity for change but then there's also uh, frustration by the lack of acceleration but i do i do think we are changing the industry and there is more and more investment into uh contech um but i think that there is so much opportunity for us to change as a sector and it's uh everyone everyone is very it's, it's really tough working on building sites whether you're the developer whether you're the main contractor whether you're the subcontractor whoever you are no one is um i think ev- everyone is generally coming away from a day of work thinking that was that was a challenge and there was loads of things that came up so anything that can be done to improve it is uh, is a win and and the government is desperate for us to improve aren't they there's all they, they send a, they do a new report every five years don't they saying uh, how, how much we need to improve and how uh, uh, of course you've just had the construction playbook I saw that yeah which was I suppose the theme of it was how public procurement's going to change the focus more on value mm. Well, I'm, I'm not a cynic because I was involved. It wasn't the first one of these reports. In fact, it wasn't even the second, although everyone thinks it was the second. But I, I, I was involved in the original Egan movement for innovation. Really? Years, I know all about that at university, Tim. It was fascinating. So thank you for well, that. Whilst you were at university, <laughs> I was absolutely. Um, and I, I ran one of the first demonstration projects back in about 99 and if anyway it was so prominent i got invited to this dinner at the institution of civil engineers in in the president's dining room and sir john egan was the guest of honor lovely stuff and of course you had all the great and the good all the ceos of the the big companies then including sir john armit who i think at the time was at Costain, I think, but there were all the others, all the other faces from my youth were there. And of course, yeah, in my little demonstration project, we, looking back on it with all those years of uh, hindsight, you know, it, it had not only had it demonstrated genuine invention and innovate, mm. there's lots of innovation around collaboration or alliancing and creating massive cost advantages for the client but also a great high profit business for the company i was currently employed by yeah and 
of course, were, were those lessons really learned? Because the business I worked for at the time never capitalised on it. I moved on a couple of years later. And I'm not sure that the industry learned from it particularly either. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, I always used to think that one of the main problems with, um, and I was always a subcontractor, so I always worked with multiple uh, clients, if you like. I was working on maybe three or four projects at any time. Um, I always found that it was a frustration that often you would, over the course of six months or a year or however long you're working on any projects, you would uh, potentially build good bonds with people, maybe not with everyone, but you'd, you'd, you'd form these project teams. Whether whether you got on or didn't get on, you, 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 you gained a load of knowledge together. Um, and then, sure enough, uh, project finished, you all disbanded and never saw each other again. If you did see each other again, it wasn't in the same format. So all the lessons that you had learned collectively, because you are a project team, whether whether you like it or not, um, all of that information and all that knowledge source and um, camaraderie, if you like, just dissipates at the end of every single project, gone, gone, gone. And I think that is one of the main problems that we have as a, as a sector as well, in terms of uh, generally uh, just improving and being better. Well, we're getting on to the philosophy now, aren't we? Because, of course, construction, by definition, is a project-orientated business mm -hmm. industry. And, a, the, and we, there's PhDs and goodness knows what written about how you, <coughs> how you should manage these sorts of businesses better. But I, I, I would take slight issue with what you said, because you're right, projects are delivered by teams, they create knowledge as part of the solution. Mm -hmm. And of course, I think people think, well, that knowledge should be collected. And what does that look like? Oh, it's a report or a lessons learned report and all of that stuff. And relationships are formed. So I mean, I've done a lot of work on the relationship part of it. But I, I'm not so sure that it is absolutely forgotten. It's just not in the same form as it was before, because those relationships, you take the, the camaraderie, yeah. the, the close relationships that get formed uh, delivering a project, and they are, from a business to business point of view, that's when the real intimacy. That's happens. when the magic happens. It, it is, and it's also, if you, if you look at two businesses coming together to deliver a project, it's always more than two, but mm -hmm. just say two. Um, any business of scale, what actually happens on a project is you get multiple points of contact and relationship forming. Mm -hmm. So rather than in the old fashioned way, you think about business to business where you have the, the salesperson and the buyer. Yes. Dyadic relationship. It's very brittle, isn't it? Either one of them leaves or retires, it's gone. Mm -hmm. so within a project, you get multiple relationships forming you know the project manager have multiple on the other side and so on and so forth yeah so you get it's a much more robust relationship and by the nature of having gone through um a joint experience which will have had plenty of bumps in the road if it was any project worth its while it won't have gone completely <laughs> yeah People won't ever forget that. The concept. No, yeah, I, 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 
I don't disagree with that. I guess I mean I, I, I guess my point of view was more like you may uh, personally uh, shoulder the experience and shoulder the improvement from it, but you then go to another project and and perhaps this is more my subcontractor mindset coming out where I had loads of different clients as opposed to being on a job for three years and then using a similar supply chain perhaps. But um, you would personally develop and improve project on project, of course. But um, taking those relationships and actually building as a collective entity in, in the project-based sector that construction is was always uh, a bit of a challenge, I guess. Yeah, I mean that in itself is a fact. We could have a we could run a master's degree on that. Um, I could, I couldn't, I could. You probably could. You're much more intelligent than I am. <laughs> Thanks. Maybe I am. Who knows? But <laughs> it's it's not really a what I think so interesting about what you're doing is that you've you've created something which I guess doesn't it, it, it what does it actually in your view do does it smooth the communication between the client and the subcontractors does it help manage the risk what what's the benefit over the old way of doing it uh, the, uh both of those things that you mentioned I mean um, what we're, I, I, I hate to see waste. Um, and I think that's what Chris and I were talking about in the pub when we decided to, to uh, start sealing was, I, I'm trying to do my best here, but the, the tools aren't coming together and I'm just wasting money. Um, and I think uh, what it gives you is it removes all of the waste or a lot of the waste, perhaps not all of it. Um, so it means that uh, the system is sophisticated enough to actually do what a quantity surveyor would do in a, in a couple of days, in a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes. So it will read the drawings and break everything out for you as a project, um, which saves you a lot of time, which means that um, rather than uh, spending all your time uh, getting to the point of competitive tendering, getting to the point of value engineering, uh, what, what we're trying to do is remove all the waste, remove all the time spent, and get you to that point straight away, connect you with uh, hand-picked uh, supply chain of contractors for all trades. So it's not just the yellow pages, it's connecting you with intelligent, uh, uh, considered um, subcontractors who are going to tender and who are encouraged to value engineer. So it's, it's A, removing the waste in terms of getting things done and getting you to the point of uh, having tenders on your table, but it's also uh, making the supply chain really focused on let's build this project intelligently. So we'll tender intelligently, we'll offer you value engineering. And the idea is that every C-Link project is built uh, in a sophisticated, intelligent way, as opposed to just in a reactive way, which uh, on many projects that I worked on in the past, not because the people on it weren't good professionals, but because of the circumstance, i.e. tight budget, tight program, poor systems in place, poor decisions were made. And... Um, we, we did a survey at the start of C-Link, which asked Causes Fairs project managers, asked all these professionals about whether or not they had ever made a procurement decision under pressure, which they regretted. And over 80% of them said yes. The other 20%, I'm pretty sure, were all fibbing because they must have done. So, but 80% said yes, and of, of that 80%, a further 75% or so said um, that it significantly cost them time and money on that project. So, you have all of these reports saying that there's all these um, problems with construction output. Uh, procurement isn't the entirety of it, it's a big part of it, and I think 
everyone has experienced uh, or almost everyone except for the perfect few has experienced those those problems that's what we're trying to solve i guess and just tell me so you're you sell your platform to developers or people who want to buy construction services <clears throat> how do you attract the the players into that who are going to be part is it a database that you built up that your your customers can access so um we have so, so on the buying side we have uh sme main contractors sme property developers who want to uh, do subcontract procurement on the selling side we have a network built up of subcontractors who before we'll even consider them, have to get pre-qualified. Once they're pre-qualified, we then check them for multiple different um, steps where we basically, they have to impress us so that we then think that they'll impress our community. Once they do that, we then welcome them into the community and they are then able to uh, register interest and tender and communicate with our um, network of buyers. And, and that's really important to us is the integrity of the community, if you like. We want people who are using C-Link to be connecting with amazing contractors, amazing supply chain, so that, as I said before, C-Link projects are being built uh, in a sophisticated, intelligent way. So that's very interesting. So, and this platform, C-Link, it's a sort of, is it, is it closed or do you allow outside developers to do stuff with it? It's closed until you um, enter the community. Um, obviously, there is a uh, subscription and so on involved yeah. uh, for for the person buying. So the property developers, the main contractors, they make the, the return on investment is pretty great for, for those guys. Um, but it is closed, and it's particularly closed for the subcontract supply chain because they're the ones who we are doing a huge amount of uh, pre qualification and betting on. So part of your business is you you've created this platform. You you're, you're curating it. And presumably you're doing quite a lot of what sounds to me like more typical uh, consultancy work, which is the pre-qualification process, or is that all automated as well? It's it's automated in as much as you can automate this process, um, Tim. And you, that's we we have a uh, we call it like we have a rope in front of the club, right? So before before you get in. You've got to uh, give us your ID, and by that we mean uh, you've got to do your pre-qualification, you've got to do all the boring bits, you've got to show your insurances, your accreditations, your uh, company history, etc. Once you get through, and if we're impre impressed by that point, we'll then have a conversation with you and start to talk about uh, references that you have, a bit of an interview, like your style, your approach, and if we then think, okay, they're a good fit, we will then consider taking them through, if that makes sense. So. It really is not the yellow pages, and I really don't ever want us to be the yellow pages. I want us to be quite the opposite. I want anyone who is buying on the uh, network in the community to know that they are accessing this rich pool of high-quality um, contractors, which uh, I work for a big company. We couldn't um, uh, keep keep the network of contractors um, that Seedlink has, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to give that big business mentality, if you like, of having this supply chain kept up to date, really, really good supply chain, vetted supply chain, post-qualified by the network. So yeah, they're good. I really enjoyed working with them, etc. Um, and that's something that is very hard for SMEs to do. They can't do it. So 
uh, that's what we're trying to give through the uh, managing the community and marketplace as well. It all so takes a lot of time, I have to say. <laughs> I'm sure it does, but of course, what you're you you are creating this community, and with the idea that you improve the reduce the transaction costs and increase the value that that community can supply to your clients. Yeah. Correct. I'm guessing in the future there's all sorts of other ways of extending that, isn't it? Because you've got not so much a captured market, you've got a connected market there of yeah, there's, the same sort of stuff. There's some, there's some um, <clears throat> really interesting opportunities that we're uh, analysing, reviewing and tracking in regards to data as well, in regards to like what does it actually cost to build? Forget your spawns, forget your BCIS. What is being spent? on building in London in SW10 right now. And that's something that we're trying to um, build, analyze, and eventually uh, be able to use that to support the industry because um, that's the real life data of what what are people tendering at and what people are placing orders at. And that's something that we're really uh, focused on longer term in terms of the big picture, if that makes sense. That sounds very interesting indeed. Very interesting indeed. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. Well, no, I mean, this is is uh, yeah. One of the, my hobby horses at the moment is, as I'm saying, is the construction sector. You know, watch out for Jeff Bezos or whoever he's. I can't even remember his CEO's <coughs> name. He's going to be in post. If, no, he's not in post until next month, is he? But yeah, it's. It's going to be a different type of business which comes into construction and really disrupts it. Yeah, there's a, there, there's lots of potential, isn't there, in terms of um, yeah. offsite manufacturing data. There's loads of different um, avenues where that it could be totally uh, shaken up. That's the exciting bit. Going back to what we said at the very start, there is this absolute. Um, opportunity for the sector to be um, revolutionized and it's a sector which is uh six or seven percent of gdp worldwide it's massive it is it is one of the biggest and it needs um revolution no you're right and it, like i say we we work in a number of different jurisdictions and everywhere it's it's if you add in all the support services it's near 10 percent mm. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you are developed or developing, unless yeah. you're going backwards, you have to keep spending the money on it. Exactly. Is, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, it's, it's never going to go away, is it? Mm. It's, you know, it's not like if you're in the, I'd be worried if I was a car manufacturer at the moment, really. Um, but people still need a house, don't they? Still yeah. in a hospital. One of the few, one of the few perks, Tim, of uh, working in construction. We found one. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, construction gets knocked a lot uh, in this country, and people forget the good things about it. In the, I mean, one of the great things about it, and I'm sure your your uh, platform will help, is it's astoundingly uh, agile in terms of flexing its scale to suit the economy without. Putting loads of people on the dole. Yeah. It it's I mean obviously because it there's a big reliance on migrant labour. So bizarrely, the <clears throat> we've looked at this in a lot of detail for our own business, but uh 
it's now easier to bring people into the country to work than it was when we were part of the EU. Yeah, the, really? the immigration rules and work permitting is massively relaxed compared with before. Yeah. Interesting. Although it's, it, will, it has put off the Poles and the Bulgarians, once everyone sort of digested it, if they wish to, they could come back uh, without any bother really. Well, there's a bit of paperwork, but that's gone. So it has liberalised, the, the, the rules have been liberalised post-Brexit uh, now. Um, which means that flexibility is is still there. Uh, there was Interesting, a, I didn't, I didn't realise. There was a big concern that it would be a big problem. I, I don't think it will be. It's just the couple of the people who come in will be different. Yeah. Anyway, I suppose on that, that reasonably upbeat note, I mean, that, that, the whole story <laughs> is really, really upbeat. And even the post-Brexit, my thoughts on post-Brexit are reasonably upbeat. Definitely. fantastic, Paul, to hear about how you have literally laid the foundations of a of the, uh, the revolution for construction procurement in your case, but that may well lead to a significant change in the way the, the whole industry uh, operates. And it won't just be in the UK, of course, if you make yeah. it here, it'll work in many places. So thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Sarah, who runs the podcast for me, will put all of Paul's contact details in the show notes, which you can access when you go on YouTube to watch it. Is there a, a particular website that you want to direct people towards, Paul? If they want more. Yeah, I mean, um, probably best place to start in terms of finding us is um, www.c-link.com. So c-link. Uh, C-link is the business, and then uh, we actually also have our own podcast, which I think. Uh, Tim may be uh, guesting on in the near future, which we're looking forward to, which is called the Own the Build podcast. And you can find that at uh, Apple, Spotify and uh, Google as well. So uh, like, likewise, uh, Tim, I thought that was a very nice conversation. Very good to uh, catch up again. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you for having me on. You're welcome. So for everyone, that's the end of this episode. And uh, join us in a couple of weeks for the next one. And of course, if you've enjoyed it, please like and subscribe because uh, apparently that's really good. And <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. So bye. Thanks, guys. Come to Invent for the highest R&D tax credit you can claim. We help construction businesses get back millions in tax credits every year. Contact us today for a free review. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too.